Welcome, I'm Dorothy. Welcome to CIV. Um, we are going to start service soon, so if you guys can come down this way. If you guys need to look at the lyrics or anything, sermon notes, um, it is also on CIV, alharambrod.com slash Sunday. And we welcome you to stand and worship with us. against the 
is crowned with thorns, is crowned with glory now. There are now to wash our feet, now at his feet. shines for all to see. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise Christ our King. The fear thou held us now gives way to him who is our peace. Your name. 
Mark Klepsig, and I'd like to just welcome you here, whether you're in the courtyard with us or watching from home. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I get to help lead a community group at Church in the Valley, and so very excited to welcome you. If you're our guest this morning, we do have a book for you today. It's a book that's called How Good is Good Enough. You can grab those on the resource table uh, to my left. Um, Keep that for yourself. Uh, it's a really good read, or for someone else you'd like to give it to. That's our gift to, to you for joining us here today. Um, 
We'd love for everyone here to fill out a connection card. You can find that in the program that you might have received when you walked in or online at civlhambra.com slash Sunday. Uh, if you're a regular here, just fill out whatever makes sense. If you have uh, any updated personal information or prayer requests or updates on things that we might already be praying for you, uh, we'd love to hear how that's going. And if you are a guest, um, please fill out just whatever is comfortable for you. Uh, that's how we can uh, let you know what's going on uh, in the church. So you're welcome if you'd like to support the church to give online or in the bucket, which also is on that table to my left as you exit. Uh, you, can also, um, <laughs> you can also give, um, sorry, you can also give online. And when, we, um, when you exit today, if you are not going to reuse or take any of the programs, we'll recycle those for you so you can drop those also in the buckets as, as well as the pens. Then we can reuse those uh, as makes sense. Okay, so today I'd like to talk for a minute about membership renewal. Uh, it's that time of year. So the way that we do membership at Church in the Valley is every year we kind of reexamine uh, what we commit to as a church and look at some principles and practices that really keep us focused uh, on accomplishing the mission of, of God's church and moving forward, uh, just expanding the kingdom, which as we've talked about recently is, is the rule and reign of God in, in our hearts. And um, also it helps us to keep um, good relationships, to maintain clear relationships. So uh, for me, that's been very personally um, beneficial it's that annual cadence as you get older uh, a year goes by faster and faster and so it's a time for us to look and see um, what what have I committed to where has God really grown me in the past year and thank him and praise him for that and also um, what what am I may where am I maybe missing the mark so where, where am I not being the person that God uh, is asking me to be so uh, if you're a member, you can fill out the membership renewal card, which is in your um, program and also is uh, online. You can find that on the tab at civalhambra.com slash Sunday. Um, and if you're not yet a member, uh, we're going to talk in a minute about a membership class, but let us know on the connection card and we can get you some information on uh, what that means, uh, what we like to accomplish here at Church in the Valley and what we're about. Next, I want to tell you about baptism overview. So baptism uh, is, is something that God asks us to do, uh, to follow Jesus' example as we become a believer. Next Sunday, March 20th at 1115 here in the Alhambra, we'll be having an overview. Um, so if you're interested in learning more, what does that mean about baptism? Uh, learning more about that, um, feel free to um, check that on your connection card. And I think... Oh, it doesn't have it on the slide. Good. So we had initially, I think we have announced that uh, we would have baptism on April 3rd. We're going to push that to April 10th. So next week, baptism overview, one class for kids and adults. And then on the 10th of April is when we'll be having baptism. So I encourage you to sign up for that if you're interested. And last, uh, I want to mention we have a Discovering Church in the Valley class coming up. So that's a class for those who are interested in learning more about membership or know that they'd like to become a member. Just learn who we are, what we're trying to accomplish. And that's Sunday, March 27th here at the Alhambra from 11.15 to 1.45 p.m. 
And we will be uh, providing lunch as well as childcare. So please sign up on your connection card or online, and that way we'll prepare enough lunch and have the right amount of childcare available for you. So again, uh, that's something you can sign up on your connection card. I'd like to pray for us, and then uh, the band will continue leading us in worship before John comes up and gives the message. Father, thanks so much for the opportunity to gather together to really honor and praise and worship you together. Father, um, if we haven't done so, let us just really prepare our hearts to receive uh, what you want to speak into it. Just come expecting you to speak and just ready to respond positively to you, Father. And God, I just want to take a second and pray for the students and staff from the campuses that are at Hume Lake for the week that you would really move powerfully in their lives, that this is a key opportunity for them to get away and to listen to you. We thank you for acting. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Mark. Um, if everyone could stand up, stand up again for worship again.
Good morning, everybody. Thank you, thank you. Lovely. How are you today? Good. So, we're getting a bit of echo, but hopefully it'll uh, sort itself out. Uh, we are in a series on life in the spirit. And this is so important. It's so important for us to understand and to experience and to live with this truth of the gift of the spirit to the church, to believers, as we, as we are on our mission in the world. And you know, there's a lot of Christians that are a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's an unfortunate division in, in many, uh, in, in some places, certainly in North America, you know, be, between churches that emphasize the work of the Spirit and those who don't. And I think this is one of the, it's a tragedy really, that we are divided over a person of the Trinity the one who's, who's uniting us, the one who actually we share as believers. So if there's, anything, if there's perhaps one thing I'd like you to get out of this whole series on life in the spirit is for us to be truly celebrating and to be thrilled and excited about the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us and within us and not to be frightened of him but to celebrate and, and thank and pray for more, not less, of the Holy Spirit. And of course, this doesn't take away at all from our worship and adoration and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ or to God the Father. In fact, it, it stimulates it. So today we're talking about 
the Spirit in the Gospel of John. We're not going to look at every reference to the Spirit in the Gospel of John. We're going to look at, in the main, at a, a number of references to the Holy Spirit in chapters 14, 15, and 16 of John. And this is a passage in which Jesus is giving a, his kind of farewell speech to his disciples before he goes to his trials and his crucifixion and then ultimately to the resurrection and ascension. And in this passage, he, he talks about the Spirit as the helper. And we're going to try to think this morning about what that means. But just in context, before we get to the passage, we're going to pick up in a moment and read from starting in John 14, verse 15. But before that, in John 14, as Jesus is, and his, it is the Last Supper, and he has washed his disciples' feet, and he starts talking about the, the fact that he's going to go away. He's going to leave, and he's going to, uh, and, and they're going, well, they get about upset about this, and where are you going? Uh, how, you know, and he says, I'm going to come and take you with me to be where I am. And it's a series of questions uh, that, that the disciples bring up, showing their confusion. Jesus says in verse 4, for example, verse four, chapter 14, you know the way where I'm going. Now he's talking about his father's house is where he's going. Thomas doesn't really quite understand, Lord, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? That's when Jesus famously says in verse 6 of this chapter, I am the way, truth and the life. And then he tells them where he's going. That is, no one comes to the Father except through me. So he's going, the place he's going is to the Father. The way that you get there is through Jesus who is the way. Philip is a little bit, doesn't quite understand also what's going on Jesus says if you'd know if you'd known me you would have known my father Philip says well Lord show us the father that'll be that'll satisfy us that sounds like a really spiritual prayer to me you know hey Jesus show me the father that sounds like something you might just pray but Jesus is kind of upset with this prayer uh, with this request he says have I been with you so long you don't know me Philip if you've seen me, you know, he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? In other words, Jesus is saying, this is what the Father is like. If you want to know what the Father's like, just look at me. That's what he's like. That's what God is like. So, and he wants Philip to believe him. So he's saying, believe me, because I'm telling you. And if you don't believe me, just because I say it, believe the works, that is, the miracles that he's done. And then he goes on to say, if you believe in me, he believes in me, will do these same works and greater because I'm going to the Father and I will answer prayers. So that's the kind of context here. And now we're going to pick it up from verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's as far as verse 17. This is a passage where he describes the Holy Spirit as another helper. Let's think about that word another for a minute. Right? Who's the 
if there's another helper, who's the first helper? And of course, this is Jesus himself. When we say the word helper, you know, we're not saying, of course, that somehow when the Spirit comes, uh, he's our servant, uh, that he's going to run around doing us favors and helping us out. You know, he doesn't, he comes to help, but he doesn't come in a subordinate position. He right? doesn't come as someone we can order around. He comes as helper, but uh, it's a bit like, you know, if, you, if you're a parent and you have children and uh, they're trying to learn how to tie their shoelaces. So let me help you with that. To help your child in that situation is help, but it certainly doesn't mean that you are now, that you know, they're in charge and you're not, although some kids would prefer that. So this, is, this word helper, by the way, it translates the Greek word parakletos, which uh, sometimes people say, anglicize it to paraclete, uh, sometimes translated as comforter, sometimes advocate. Uh, but I think helper is just probably the best translation here. He's going to help. Well, in what way? Well, that's what Jesus is going to go on to, and describe. And so the first thing he says is another helper. He's going to be with you forever because Jesus is leaving he's going to the father and and uh, so he's got another help he's going to be with you forever by the way that with you there is is emphatic in the in the way that the Greek text is laid out uh, in in the, in the order of the Greek text it would be that with you forever he might be which is the not the normal way it would be written in Greek it normally would be forever he might be with you with the time reference first and the verb, he might be, and then the with you would come at the end. But the author here, John, has brought that with you forward in the, in the, in the sentence for emphasis. With you, forever, he might be that witness of God. Now, it turns out that there's a condition, or at least a, a, a premise to all this. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. There's an emphasis in this whole passage on obedience, and it turns out that the, the fundamental condition here for the reception of the Spirit is love for Jesus. Now, you'll notice, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That, uh, that by the way, is a promise more than a command. It's not saying, if you love me, go ahead and keep, uh, keep my commandments. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a promise. And, and so, but this promise of obedience that derives from love for the Lord and the Father's going to send the spirit of truth. We'll talk about the spirit of truth, that phrase a bit more later because it comes up again. But the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. This is important to recognize, right? Uh, you know, sometimes we think about the brotherhood of man, you know, the unity of all people. We, you know, there's a lot which we all hold in common. But one thing we don't all have in common as human beings is God living in us. There's the Spirit 
dwelling in us. That's some people like to think we all have the same spirit. No, we don't. Uh, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. We don't all share the same spirit, though we should and we could, but we don't. And this is, uh, you know, the, the distinction. We saw this a few months ago when we were looking at Exodus chapters 32 through 34. We saw that the distinguishing mark of the people of God there, as Israel was going up in, through the wilderness to the promised land, was the presence of God among them. And this is saying the same thing. The distinguishing mark of the people of God is the presence of God through the gift of the Spirit. And Jesus says to them, verse 17, you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Now, when it says dwells, uh, the word there would be in the Greek, meno means he remains, he abides. The same, we've got this, this notion of abiding or dwelling all the way through this passage, and uh, he's going to be in you. That's a tremendous promise. The witness of the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit, incredible promise. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Now, from verse 18 to 21 we'll just read this here i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more but you will see me because i live you also will live in that day you will know that i am in my father and you in me and i in you whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and i will love him and manifest myself to him now this three verses or four verses doesn't actually mention the spirit but the context is very clear i'm going to send you another spirit he's going to be in you very next verse i will come to you and so the implication is even though it seems to start a new idea but it really develops what jesus has just said it's not a separate coming it's not like well the spirit comes and then oh jesus comes and then oh the father comes to you right it's all the same event, the same truth, the same reality. That Jesus will not leave us or his disciples as orphans. He will come to us, not the world, but he will come to us because I live, you will also, also will live. This is resurrection life. And but he comes to us in and through the Holy Spirit. So this come, Jesus coming here probably refers to the resurrection of Christ. It, it, after his death, it refers to perhaps eventually to the return of Christ. But it also has a view to the coming of the Spirit, to Jesus coming to us through the gift of the Spirit. So here's an incredible truth. Listen, when the Spirit when you receive the Spirit, that's how Je that's Jesus coming to live within you. That is the Father and the Son coming to live with you and in you. This idea of indwelling is very important to the Gospel of John, right? For example, back in chapter 4, 
verse 14, Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman at the, by the well there. Uh, he says to her, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So that's the, that even in that passage, you know, the, uh, the, the water of life that Jesus gives to people, it becomes in him, inside, if you like, a spring of water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The similar in chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or his innermost belly, his inner, inner organs will, f will flow rivers of living water. Again, the idea of indwelling and then an outflow of the Spirit. And this is an incredible thing. What does it mean? I, I, just think about this for a moment. To, it's it's, it's going to probably blow a fuse in your brain. But just think about this for a minute. What does it even mean that the infinite, eternal, all-powerful, almighty, all-nice, and all-knowing God is somehow coming to live within humans? What does that even mean or look like, right? Uh, how does that function? And remember, of course, and we said this before, that the Holy Spirit is not stuff, right? His spirit. It's not, it's not a physical thing. It's not that you kind of leak Holy Spirit, you have to get filled up again. It's not that, uh, you know, how much space is there? Does a, a fat person have more Holy Spirit than a thin person? No, no, right? It's, it's, it's because it's God, the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living within his human creation. And that's a really remarkable thing. And that's absolutely life-transforming. Absolutely life-transforming. He will be in you, Jesus says. Notice again that in, even in this section of text, we also have that reminder of the need for love and obedience. In verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he will, who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Love is evidenced by obedience, right? Remember what Jesus says uh, in another passage, just right near this one, you know, you're my friends if you do what I'm commanding you. Remember, we've talked about this before, that being a friend with Jesus, that loving Jesus, having a friendship with Jesus uh, is, is an intimate, special friendship relationship, but it's not an equal relationship, right? It's not a relationship of equals. We are, he's in charge and we're not. He's Lord and we're not. And that was that was something that in the ancient world they actually understood. Uh, a lot of, if you look at ancient literature from, uh, you know, uh, the Greek literature or Jewish literature from this period, you'll see that there's quite a lot of talk about friendship between unequals. That's something that in our culture we find a little difficult. Uh, part of it, I think, is the way our culture is, has, has structured our, our society. For example, 
the age segregation that we have uh, growing up. You know, we all we hang out with people exactly the same age. We don't hang out because of the way the classes are done in schools, or sometimes in church. You know, when, and we we, uh, we we sort of we are taught by our culture to be friends only really with people almost exactly the same age as ourselves, and uh, the same and the same level of uh, significance the same you know and, and so when people uh, become you know uh, well change that we have we find difficult to conceptualize friendship between unequals we find difficult to conceptualize intimacy of friendship between people who are not equal in authority or e not equal in power or wealth or influence or prestige or all the things that we value in our culture and that's something the actually the ancient world knew pretty well that's why you could be the king's friend without being the, another king and uh, and so jesus is saying you can love him you can be friends with him doesn't mean that now you're on an equal footing with him no he's still the boss amen but he, he is absolutely your friend. And so our love for him is evidenced by that obedience. And that obedience does not take away from the value of our love relationship with Jesus. It, in fact, exhibits that love relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense to you? And as we've talked about this verse before here in this church, verse 21 uh, the idea of, you know, although God's love is unconditional and it's the same love for everybody in the world, we see that in John 3, 16, you know. Uh, in this text, there's a kind of special love of the Father for those who love and obey the Son, Jesus. So this is a promise of indwelling and revelation and it happens by the Spirit. Wow. Well, we'll move on. Verse 22 to 24, Judas, another disciple named Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So this disciple, Judas, he's, he's, He's a bit confused because Jesus says, I will love the one who loves me and he'll be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And, but, you know, it's not, the world won't see me. And so he's thinking, what does that even mean? Right? Because remember that the, the, the most common understanding of the Messiah in the first century Jewish world was a king who would establish, who would renew Israel, cleanse the nation, and, and, and rule eventually, rule the nations of the world from Jerusalem. And, and so, absolutely, if Jesus is coming as Messiah and Lord, it's got to be seen by everybody. It's going to make sense for Jesus saying something different. And so it's a good question. What, and it, it, it led... It, asks the question for us, what kind of kingdom, what kind of coming does Jesus anticipate here? 
And the answer is, of course, twofold. One is that eventually Jesus will return and everybody will see him as he returns. And that longing, we're still longing and waiting for his return from heaven. But in, before then, there's a coming of Jesus that happens through the gift of the Spirit. And the Father and the Son are making our home with believers. Wow. So, verses 18 to 21, Jesus is saying, I will come to you. And that happens through the Spirit. Verses 22 to 24, Jesus is saying, the Father and I will come to you and make our home with you. And he said, and by the way, who is this privilege for? And the answer is anyone, anyone, anyone who loves Jesus, keeps his word, my Father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. Again, love as the, the importance of obedience, keeping his word, and the, and, but that obedience as the, as the response of love. This is a passage talking about the indwelling of the Father and the Son making out their home in you or us, in the person, in the individual. The indwelling of God through the Spirit is the result of God's love for us. That's his gift of love. Praise the Lord. Now listen, God has always wanted to dwell with, live with, walk with, his human creation. From the very beginning, we see God walking in the garden, Garden of Eden, in Genesis 2, right? God walking in the garden, Genesis 2 and 3, with, with Adam and Eve. And uh, that's his always been his desire. He's dwelling, living with them. He chose Abraham and his descendants to, to be a people for his own possession in the world, to represent him in the world. And so he lived and dwelt with Israel, particularly through and in the tabernacle that they built and then the temple that was built uh, by Solomon. And, of course, the church is now the temple of God. That's the place where God dwells among us. God has always wanted to live with his human creation and for them to live with him. And so that's why we're spreading the gospel to the world, to fulfill God's heart and plan for the world, that the dwelling place of God is with man. But it's not simple. That's why we have to keep spreading the good news. And... Verse 24, of course, is the other side of the coin. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the emphasis here, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This teaching of Jesus is straight from heaven. So take, pay attention, all right? It's really important. Read verse 25 to 27. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your memory, remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He, the, the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, is being sent by the Father in the name of Jesus. He will teach you. He 
will remind you, Jesus says to his disciples, about everything I've said. So this is really quite important. Jesus has been their teacher. Now he's leaving, but the Holy Spirit is going to be teaching them. But he's not going to teach them something different from what Jesus taught them. He's going to remind them of what Jesus said. The, the Spirit is always pointing us back to Jesus. He's always pointing us to Jesus. He's always pointing us to the teaching of Jesus. He's always prompting us to submit, to, to obey Jesus and to keep his word. If you have a spirit which is taking you away from Jesus, that's not the Holy Spirit that you've got. If you've got a spirit that is taking away from your emphasis on Jesus, from your submission to Jesus as Lord, if you have a spirit which is, which is taking you in a different direction than, the, than, the, than, than Jesus, that's not the Holy Spirit. Now, this passage says here that Jesus says, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Remember, what's the context here, though? It's the, it, the context is the gift of the Spirit. How does Jesus give us his peace? Right? How does he give the disciples his peace? It's through the Holy Spirit, who is, of course, the Spirit of peace. And how, do we, how is it that we live a life free from the torment of anxiety, and worry, and fear, and troubles, right? It's impossible without the gift of the Spirit that the Father sends in the name of Jesus. Absolutely impossible without the help of the Helper. Right? There's plenty happening in our world, whether it's in Ukraine or whether it's in your world here in Los Angeles or wherever you live, there's plenty happening that could make us afraid, could make us nervous. There's plenty to worry about if we're on our own, if we're left up to our own devices. There's plenty to be scared of. But we don't have to be, amen? We don't have to be scared. We don't have to lose our peace because Jesus is giving us his peace, but through the gift of the Spirit. These are some of the precious things that the, that the Spirit does in the church. So the, those, that first section of, of passages here, all of them in John 14, really talk about the Spirit in the church. Now we're going to talk about the Spirit in the world. And I'm going to start reading uh, from verse 26. Uh, but just to tell you a word about the intervening context, I haven't got time, of course, in these messages to go through the whole of John 14 through 16. So, uh, but in between where we left off talking about the Spirit in chapter 14 to where we are now, uh, various things have been talked about, but particularly up, up to the passage we're about to speak or to, to read in a moment, the main things that Jesus is talking about as the disciples are called to go into the world and bear fruit. 
but they will be persecuted. And people will, you know, be, many people will be unbelieving in the words and the works of Jesus. And they're going to face the same kind of persecution that Jesus faced, but they're still called to do that, still, still called to go into the world and bear fruit, abiding fruit. In other words, to, uh, to do the work of God uh, and to, for results to take place. And that's what Jesus has chosen them for. So that's the context. Now I'm going to pick up reading in verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will be bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Is that one of the themes in the Gospel of John is the theme of witness. And the reason why there's a theme of witness in the Gospel of John is because there's a kind of a larger theme in the Gospel of John about uh, it's about the, the law courts or a trial scene. As you read through the Gospel of John, it, there's a lot of legal language in there. Uh, Jesus seems to be on trial all the time. He seems to be, people are defending him some and other people are accusing him. John the Baptist comes to bear witness to him. Uh, Jesus testifies to himself. The Father testifies to Jesus. All this legal language of, of the courtroom is there. And Jesus seems to be on trial all the time. Eventually, of course, he is put on trial. He has uh, a, a, a religious trial before religious authorities. And then he has a civic trial before uh, the governmental authorities. And in neither trial is he found guilty of anything, but eventually they send him to put him to death anyway uh, as a travesty of injustice. And the way that John presents the, this whole accusations against Jesus, he shows us right from the beginning that over all these accusa accusations against Jesus are without any merit, that he is totally innocent, totally pure, totally perfect, the innocent Lamb of God. And that's the kind of trial uh, trial motif that's happening in the Gospel of John. Uh, of course, as you read John, you find out that it's really not so much Jesus is on trial because, you know, he's actually the Lord and judge. But it turns out that uh, the reader of John is on trial. You are going to be judged by God for how you respond to the Jesus that you read about in the Gospel of John. How do you respond to him. So there's a, a, a kind of trial motif in the Gospel of John. And the Spirit, the Helper, the Spirit of Truth, who Jesus will send to you from the Father, he, he comes or proceeds from the Father, he is going to testify about Jesus. When Jesus leaves, Spirit is coming, and he's going to bear witness in the world, testify about Jesus and that's the Spirit witnessing to Jesus in the world. The Spirit isn't just involved in the church, right? The Spirit is not just involved in the church. The Spirit is involved in the world. Now, largely, He's involved in the world through the church, through the preaching of the gospel, through the witness of the church in the world. So these two things aren't separated, but this is what is happening, right? We know that really no one comes to Christ unless the Spirit is already working in that person, right? 
But the Spirit works as we preach the gospel and pray for people. That's what the Spirit does. I talked before a couple of weeks ago about about uh, the John Wesley, who was the uh, founder of the Methodist movement, but uh, you know the the one of the main uh, figures in the First Great Awakening, and, and uh, back in the early 1700s, and he had this notion. He called it prevenient grace. Now, you know whether you take that term or not, the, his idea was that uh, when you are preaching the gospel, when you're sharing the word, and uh, that it's not just the words themselves, but it's, it's the grace of God, it's, it's, and it's the spirit of God taking the words of the gospel and the message of the gospel and applying it to the human heart. Now, and that's how we come to Christ, right? And so the spirit is, is in the world and he is going to be working in the world to bring people to Christ. And he's going to do that largely through our testimony to Jesus. But that's the power of the Spirit. He's not just in the church, even though, of course, he's not indwelling the people outside the church, but he's working in the world. And we see this in verse 7 to 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, sorry, this is chapter 16, verse 7 to 11 now. I, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is an incredible passage. He says, it's better for you that I'm leaving right now. Because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Just think about this for a minute. You know, if, if you're, you're going to ask me, which, which, which time and place in history would I love to visit if I could time travel? You know, someone asked uh, my wife Heidi and I that question. We both came up with the same answer. was, you know, we want to be there at the feeding of the 5,000, right? Uh, it's... We just think it'd be much better to be there when Jesus is walking this earth, and uh, you know we obviously we can't wait for him to return. But he's saying here, it's better that I'm leaving. Why? It's better that the world is going to be reached by thousands and millions of believers filled with the Spirit in this period between the first and second coming of Christ. That's better. That's an incredible thing. For if I, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And he is going to convict the world. Right? The Spirit is working to convict the world here. Of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Look, this is an important thing. You know when you go sharing the gospel that the Spirit is there. You can pray for the Spirit to be working to convict you know the, the the Reformation, which uh, which uh, which began in you know 1517 in in Germany through Martin Luther. The Reformation began largely because Luther, although he was already a, a monk, right? He was an Augustinian Catholic monk. He really needed to know Jesus, and he, he really didn't. He wasn't born again. He wasn't. Uh, and and the reason, the thing that led him to God. Despite his religiosity, the thing that brought him to God 
was conviction of sin. Right? Whereas the Spirit was working in him, he became aware of his guilt, of the fact that he'd sinned, and there was, and he, and he was, without hope before God, and he had, and he was so totally aware of his sinfulness and could not find relief. And it was when he discovered that he was going to be justified, that is, given the right standing with God by faith in Jesus Christ, as he was reading the Psalms, as he was reading Galatians and and Romans, and this is what really started off the Protestant Reformation, 1517. You know, uh, I was on this mission in Fiji one time, and uh, the, uh, the team I was with, uh, we decided we'd, we had this opportunity to go to an old people's home and share the gospel. And so we, we didn't really know what to expect, and we weren't honestly expecting all that much, but we prayed. We're saying, Lord, you know, help us, and you work it by the Spirit in this place. When we got there, there was a room full of people, elderly Fijians, and they were. Uh, Fiji is about is an island, a group of islands in the Pacific, and in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And there's about 50% of the population are native Fijians, and the other 50% are largely Indians from India who've been brought over, who are their their ancestors are brought over by the British to to uh, work in the sugar plantations. And, and so this group of elderly people were there. Some of them were Muslims, some uh, were Hindus. Uh, uh, a lot of them were native Fijians. And, uh, and there was a group of staff as well. And so we did our little thing. It wasn't all that impressive. We shared our story and a little preach and a little testimony and that sort of thing. And, and and just as you do, and then uh, the the person who had the opportunity to sort of preach uh, said a short word. If you want to, you know, turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior, will you please stand up and and uh, and do it right now? That's what he said. Almost there's probably nearly 30 people in the room. I think there was only two who did not stand up instantly to to turn their lives to Jesus. There's these elderly people from uh, some of them who've been lifelong Hindus or Muslims uh, are weeping. Their eyes, are, their, their their hands. No one told them to lift your hands, right? Uh, they, and they didn't do that in the Fijian churches that I went to, visited. They they were lifting their hands. Their tears are streaming down their faces. They're they're repenting. Two of the staff also got converted on the spot. And I can tell you, it wasn't the impressive nature of our ministry among them, of what we were saying, what we were doing. It was the Spirit preparing them, convicting them, making them aware of their need for the Savior, of the need of Jesus. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit works. You know, there's three kinds of conviction here. Uh, when he says in verse 8, uh, sorry, verse 9, that he convicts of sin because they don't believe in me. The sin of unbelief is the fundamental sin that needs, that Jesus, that the Spirit has to convict of because, of course, it's the unbelief that's keeping us from the Lord Jesus. Uh, now, I'm going to move on here to our last passage, just to save a bit of time. 
from verse 12 to 15. The spirit of truth. Jesus says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all, all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Right? The, the Spirit doesn't come to do his own thing. The Spirit doesn't come to speak on his own authority. The Spirit doesn't come to point you ultimately to himself, but to point you to Jesus, to point you to what Jesus has said, and whatever he hears, he's going to speak. This is the unity of God, right? The unity of God that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are do, uh, the three persons in the one God that we serve. They're, all, they're on the same path. They're absolutely, absolutely united. And the Spirit comes to guide you, Jesus says, into all the truth. When we read the Bible, we can trust the Holy Spirit to guide us as to understand what's going on. When we're seeking answers, we can trust the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And in doing so, we remember that he's going to turn us back to Jesus all the time to remind us of what Jesus said, to take what is Jesus's and give it and declare it to us. Right? Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine, Jesus says. Father has given everything into Jesus' hands. The Spirit is going to take that and speak it to us. Right? He's going to give us the truth. He's going, the Spirit comes to glorify Jesus through pointing us to the person and the teaching of Jesus. Now this is... Some people take this a bit too extreme. They say the spirit is so self-effacing. Uh, he, you know, you should never, you can never sort of talk to him directly. You can never worship him directly. Uh, he doesn't ever, you know, uh, you shouldn't actually worship the spirit. Uh, I've heard people say this kind of thing, right? Because the spirit is 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 never about himself. It's always about Jesus, about the Father. So. But in the, if we, go, we take that too far, we end up not with a triune God, not with a trinity, a three-in-one. We end up with just two-in-one, with the Spirit as a kind of afterthought. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's emphasizing the work of the Spirit. And so this passage emphasizes to us the richness of the gift of the Spirit of truth the world is full of lies deceptions misunderstandings the world will mislead us and get us on the wrong track but the spirit comes he comes to guide us into truth the truth of jesus listen this is his job to keep us on the track or get us back on the track that's what conviction is about, convincing us or exposing us to the truth of who God is, what has happened, what it, what, what it all means. If you're confused, if you don't know the truth, if you don't understand what's going on in this world, guess what? That's the Spirit's job. He is coming to us to give us insight, understanding, 
into the truth. Of course, that's why the Spirit inspired the writing of the Scripture, right? The Bible is the inspired Word of God. But listen, and so that was what the Spirit did, inspired the truth to be written. But listen, we don't believe in a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, right? We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even the Scripture, as incredible, as true as it is, is not the end. It's not the ultimate because it's the Scripture that points us to the God, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Scripture that it points us to the God who inspired the Scripture. If your relationship with God is just a relationship with the Bible, it's inadequate. It's good, but it's inadequate. Because the Bible points beyond itself to the God who inspired these words. It's the God of the Bible. It's not a God who is different from the Bible, but from what the Bible says. But it is a God of the Bible, and your relationship is, must be more than simply a reading relationship, but a relationship with the God who has sent his Son and who has sent his Spirit, and through the Spirit, the Father and Son come to live within us, utterly transforming our very existence and life. We were never meant to live alone, but always God has wanted to live within us and with us through his Spirit, and that will always be the way. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these words of life in, John, in, the, in the Gospel of John, that you have sent us another helper to be with us forever, that through the Spirit you come to live within us, you come to help us, you come to guide us into the truth, you come Lord, to transform us and to empower us to be your witnesses in the world. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the Spirit. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we are not alone and we never will because he's with us and he, is, he will be in us forever. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, John. Um, you can use this time to uh, just reflect on what was said, um, um, or you can also just stand and worship with us. Um, we'll welcome you anyway.
worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you.
darkness, my God, that is who you are, 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 that is who you are.
so you can sing it with us. Uh, Well, we are dismissed. Hope you have a great Sunday. Bye.